Welcome to OCS Field Guide, the podcast that helps you study smarter for the OCS exam. Hello to all of our calm and confident listeners who will soon be taking the OCS exam. We're down to the wire and you are keeping it cool. Okay, maybe you're a little anxious, but hopefully our podcasts and resources have helped curb that anxiety into healthy anticipation. We know that you've got this. Today's quick episode will continue our series on the shoulder and cover a couple of miscellaneous diagnoses that have not fit well in our other podcasts. Today we will discuss slap tears, long head of biceps tendon issues, and AC joint injuries. Here's a little pretest. Do you know which types of slap tear involve the long head of biceps tendon? Do you know what structures would be involved in a Rockwood grade 3 AC joint sprain? If so, great. If not, hang out a few minutes and we'll get that taken care of. Let's jump right in with slap tears. The name slap tear, S-L-A-P, stands for superior labrum anterior to posterior. Slap tears occur somewhere between 10 and 2 o'clock on the glenoid, though they can occur as continuations of other types of labral tears. Slap tears can involve the attachment of the long head of biceps tendon due to its attachment at the superior glenoid and to the superior labrum itself. The mechanism of injury typically involves trauma or repetitive overhead activity, such as throwing or overhead hitting or overhead lifting, and thus is very common in athletes like baseball pitchers. The subjective history of a shoulder with a slap tear that is symptomatic would typically involve vague deep shoulder pain, a dead arm feeling, especially after overhead activity or throwing, a feeling of posterior shoulder tightness, uh, mechanical symptoms like catching, locking, or popping, and pain exacerbated by overhead activity. Go figure, this does sound like a lot of types of shoulder pain. There are four main types of slap tear. Types 1 and 3 will involve the labrum only, while 2 and 4 involve the superior labrum and the biceps tendon attachment. Remember this by the fact that 2 and 4 are multiples of 2 and have both two structures involved. Type 1 slap tear is isolated fraying of the superior labrum without detachment of the labrum and without biceps involvement. Type 2 includes detachment of the superior labrum and biceps tendon attachment together from the superior glenoid. This one looks as if the biceps tendon pulled the superior labrum from the glenoid. Now types 3 and 4 are both bucket handle types, with the labral tissue completely detached and potentially flapped down into the glenoid, but type 3 will be isolated to the superior labrum, while type 4 will have superior labrum and long head of biceps tendon detached together and potentially flapped down into the glenoid. So type 1, fraying of the superior labrum. Type 2, detachment or stripping of the superior labrum and biceps tendon together. Type 3, isolated bucket handle tear of the superior labrum. And type 4, bucket handle tear of both the biceps tendon and the superior labrum together. Now that I've given the classic information about slap tears, you should know that it is often what my colleague David would call a garbage diagnosis, especially in middle-aged individuals. 
Slap tears are kind of like the degenerative rotator cuff tear and the bulging intervertebral disc of the glenoid labrum. MRI studies have shown that slap tears are present in as many as 55 to 72% of asymptomatic shoulders among individuals of 45 to 60 years old. As such, rehabilitation is the first treatment of choice, and surgery is reserved for failure of conservative rehabilitation. Now, when I say surgery, that does not necessarily mean repair. Surgical options include debridement of the torn labral tissue, biceps tenodesis, or now in less common cases, repair of the superior labrum and biceps tendon anchor if it is involved. Partly due to learning about the prevalence of asymptomatic slap tears and the development of easier, less rehab-intensive procedures such as the biceps tenodesis, the number of slap repairs performed have decreased significantly. Slap repair will typically be reserved for younger, higher-level overhead athletes, while the general population, especially older individuals, will typically be managed with debridement of the superior labrum and biceps tenodesis where the long head of the biceps tendon is clipped and anchored to the humerus outside of the glenohumeral joint. You should also note that these procedures are very commonly performed along with other surgical repairs such as rotator cuff repair, and thus postoperative management should include considerations for whatever surgical repairs have been performed. Clinical diagnosis of slap tears is difficult as our special tests are not very good and the diagnosis is debated as being a cause of pain in the first place. The most studied special tests for slap tear include the O'Brien's test, also known as active compression test, the speeds test, anterior slide test, and the crank test. The O'Brien or active compression test is the most sensitive at only 67% and has an even more terrible specificity at 37%. The O'Brien test is performed in two steps. First, the shoulder is brought to 90 degrees of flexion and adducted 15 degrees and internally rotated, theoretically to put greater stress on superior labral structures. The patient is then asked to resist a downward force in that position. Reproduction of a deep pain in the shoulder is considered positive for a slap lesion, while superficial pain over the AC joint is actually considered positive for AC joint pathology. Part two of the test is to take the shoulder out of internal rotation and repeat it with the palm up, which is supposedly supposed to now be less painful. If it sounds like that would be positive with a lot of different kinds of painful shoulders, you're right, which is probably why the specificity is so bad. Now, the speeds, anterior slide, and crank tests each have a terrible sensitivity, but decent specificity, with the speeds test at 78%, the anterior slide test at 86%, and the crank test at 75%. The speeds test is basically a shoulder flexion manual muscle test, but with the palm up to make the biceps work and put greater stress on the long head of the biceps tendon. You can see how it could also reproduce pain with biceps tendinopathy. The anterior slide test is performed by having the patient put their hand on their iliac crest with the shoulder extended and elbow bent. 
The examiner puts a superior-anterior force through the humerus via the elbow. A painful click or clunk in the front of the shoulder is considered a positive test. Finally, the crank test is performed with the patient supine with the shoulder fully elevated and elbow bent. The examiner puts axial force through the humerus via the elbow while internally and externally rotating the shoulder. Pain with or without a clunk would be considered a positive test. Obviously, with the poor diagnostic accuracy of any of these tests, you are only going to use them with a history and presentation that leads you to suspect a slap lesion. It would be great if we had a specific cluster that was more accurate, but right now we do not have consensus on a cluster that you can rely on. From this information, I would remember that the O'Brien test is the more sensitive of the slap test, though it is still trash, while speeds, anterior slide, and crank are the more specific tests. Thus, you could kind of maybe consider ruling out slap lesion with a negative O'Brien's test that is combined with a history that does not match a slap lesion. And you could potentially rule in a slap tear with some combination of speeds, anterior slide, and or the crank test. Again, combined with a history that matches a slap tear. Now, before we leave the slap discussion, you should know that many of the tests used to investigate slap lesions have also been used and studied to investigate long head of biceps tendinopathy. LHB tendinopathy is yet another one of our less trusted diagnoses, and I won't spend near as much time on it. The long head of biceps tendon has been blamed for a lot of anterior shoulder pain that it probably isn't responsible for, but you should at least be familiar with it. A few different issues can occur at the LHB tendon, such as tendinitis or tendinosis, partial or full thickness tear, or tear of the transverse humeral ligament, which could cause instability of the long head of the biceps tendon where it is able to sublux in and out of the bicipital groove. Long head of biceps tendinopathy is often considered with a report of anterior shoulder pain in a line along the bicipital groove, potentially extending down into the biceps. Pain should be worst with shoulder motions that also involve biceps contraction, and there may be isolated tenderness along the bicipital groove. But don't trust that, considering you are also palpating through the anterior deltoid to get there. And have you seen just how many things attach along the bicipital groove? So go figure, pain with bicipital palpation is not a reliable test for biceps tendinopathy, or a slap lesion for that matter. There are a myriad of tests said to test for long head of biceps tendinopathy, including the aforementioned slap tests and other tests such as Jurgensen's test, biceps load 1 and 2, uppercut test, etc., blah blah blah, and suffice it to say, they are not great. Know that they exist so that you don't get thrown off by seeing an unfamiliar name of a test mentioned in a question or an answer, but if I were you, I wouldn't spend my time knowing all the properties of those tests. The other diagnosis we will cover today is a chromioclavicular joint sprain, or what is commonly called a separated shoulder. First, the anatomy. The AC joint is a plane-type synovial joint and thus lacks any bony stability in itself. There are two, well, three really, main ligaments of the AC joint— 
The acromioclavicular ligament, which envelops the joint and provides some stability and is the first to be injured in an AC joint sprain. However, the primary stability of the joint comes from extrinsic ligaments. The coracoclavicular ligament, extending from the coracoid process to the inferior surface of the distal clavicle, is actually two distinct ligaments, the trapezoid ligament and the conoid ligament. Beyond these ligaments, the deltoid muscle and trapezius muscle also provide some stability to the joint via their attachment to the acromion and the clavicle. The most common mechanism of injury for an AC joint separation is a fall on the tip of the shoulder, such as with a fall off of a bicycle or a rugby tackle. As with both mechanisms, you often are not able to reach out and brace your fall due to holding handlebars or holding a ball. So, while you may avoid a foosh injury by not reaching out when falling, you could still get a fall not on outstretched hand injury, or fnoosh injury, as I have termed it. Okay, I'm sorry. The most accepted classification system for AC joint sprain is the Rockwood classification, which we will discuss next. Each type, 1 through 6, will be classified by which ligaments are involved and the extent and location of clavicle displacement. A type 1 AC joint sprain involves a sprain but not tear of the acromioclavicular ligament only, without involvement of the other ligaments. There will be no elevation of the clavicle in relation to the acromion, and thus there will be no radiographic evidence of injury. Short of an MRI, diagnosis would thus be made on mechanism of injury, tenderness to palpation of the AC joint, and positive provocation testing such as the O'Brien's active compression test, which actually has very high specificity for AC joint pain, but low sensitivity, or the cross-body adduction test, where the arm is passively taken into full horizontal adduction with overpressure, which should reproduce pain in the AC joint. A type 2 sprain will have elevation of the distal clavicle in relation to the acromion on radiographs, but not above the superior border of the acromion. The AC ligament and joint capsule will be ruptured, and the coracoclavicular ligaments will be sprained but not torn completely. To the trained eye and palpator, there could thus be a mild step-off deformity between the distal clavicle and the acromion compared to the uninvolved side. Type 3 sprains, of course, have the rupture of the AC ligament and will also have full rupture of the coracoclavicular ligaments as well. It will have significant elevation of the clavicle above the superior border of the acromion, but to be a type 3, there must be less than twice the normal distance from the clavicle to the coracoid process. A type 3 would have an obvious step-off deformity. Types 4 through 6 are really just more severe variations on a type 3 injury, as they will also have full rupture of all ligaments, AC ligaments and the coracoclavicular ligaments, but will have different clavicle locations. Type 4 will involve posterior displacement of the clavicle into the trapezius muscle, which should have trapezius injury then. A type 5 is most similar to type 3 with significant elevation of the clavicle, but will have greater than twice the patient's normal coracoclavicular distance. 
Type 6 is rare and will have inferior displacement of the clavicle into the subcoracoid or subacromial space and will commonly thus involve neural injury. Just in case the tests were to get picky on imaging knowledge, the required radiographs for diagnosis and classification of AC joint injuries include traditional bilateral AP views, a lateral axillary view, and what is called a Zanka view, which is an AP view that is angulated 10 to 15 degrees upward to eliminate overlap between the clavicle and scapula and thus allow better visualization of the AC joint. How do we manage AC joint injuries? The general consensus is that non-surgical therapy is the primary treatment for grade 1 and 2 injuries, and there is significant debate and conflict over whether or not surgery is indicated for grade 3 injuries. However, outcomes have been shown to be about the same in those treated primarily with rehab versus surgery, and there is no risk associated with delaying surgery with grade 3 injuries. So the general trend has been away from surgery for grade 3 injuries, and the real indications are persistent pain and limited function even with conservative management. And of course, the other is cosmetic concerns. Apparently, some people don't like the bump on the shoulder. However, surgery is usually indicated for types 4 through 6 due to the clavicle disrupting other structures and presenting mechanical issues with functional movement. Before we finish, I should mention fractures. The main differential diagnosis with a mechanism of injury that would cause an AC joint injury is a distal clavicle fracture and or avulsion fracture of the coracoid process, both of which can masquerade as an AC joint separation. Thus, if you do have a case that is suspicious for an AC joint sprain, especially with an obvious step-off deformity, radiographs are going to be indicated. Let's finish with a practice question. The patient is a 32-year-old male referred to outpatient orthopedics three weeks following a fall off of his bicycle with a diagnosis of right acromioclavicular joint sprain. The radiographs included in the referral demonstrate the right clavicle elevated in relation to the acromion when compared to the left side, but not above the superior border of the acromion. Clinical exam reveals the following. Right shoulder flexion active range of motion is limited to 130 degrees by pain. Weak and painful right shoulder flexion manual muscle testing. Tenderness to palpation of the right AC joint. And a slight step-off deformity on the right compared to the left. Of the following, which is the most likely extent of injury to each structure of the AC joint? Is it A, acromioclavicular ligament sprained, conoid ligament ruptured, and trapezoid ligament ruptured, B, acromioclavicular ligament ruptured, conoid ligament sprained, and trapezoid ligament sprained, C, acromioclavicular ligament sprained, conoid ligament spared, and trapezoid ligament spared, D, acromioclavicular ligament ruptured, conoid ligament spared, and trapezoid ligament ruptured. 
This question is a good example of how information in this podcast could be used to test you in the areas of human anatomy and physiology, which is 10% of the exam, or pathology and pathophysiology, which is also 10% of the exam. Without knowing the details of the case, you should actually be able to eliminate options A and D. A, because you should know that in the progression of AC joint sprains, the acromioclavicular ligament will be injured first, and if the ligaments of the coracoclavicular ligament are ruptured, the AC ligament would have to be ruptured as well. D can also be eliminated as you should know that the conoid and trapezoid ligaments are the two distinct bands of the coracoclavicular ligament and would most likely both be injured together if one is involved. Options B and C are then left, which requires you to know that the case describes a type 2 AC joint sprain and that would involve rupture of the AC ligament and sprain or of the coracoclavicular ligaments. The fact that the answers only mention the components of the coracoclavicular ligament rather than just saying the coracoclavicular ligament is, well, just being a little bit mean. But you can kind of expect OCS item writers to be that way. That wraps up this episode of the OCS Field Guide podcast. If you are studying for the OCS exam that starts in a couple weeks, remember to sleep well and get some exercise. A lot of the hay is already in the barn. Good luck. Thanks for listening to OCS Field Guide. Don't forget to subscribe and then head to physiofieldguide.com for practice questions and more resources.